Hey, uh, let me welcome you all here to Big Valley, especially those of you that are visiting with us. Welcome to all of you that are watching online and all that kind of stuff. Um, before I get into this, let, let, let me just say something. Um, I, I'm going to do something a little bit different next weekend here. And I'm going to set up something that I'd like to see us do as a church throughout the month of June, July, and August. I'm going to challenge us all to do something. And I uh, guarantee it'll change your life. It'll change your personal life. If you're married, it'll change your marriage. Uh, if you're parents, you know, you got kids at home, I guarantee it'll change your parenting. Uh, you, you have a business out there, a Christian, Christian business that you're trying to, you know, operate in a God-honoring way. It, it'll change your business. Really, it'll change your life. If you're single and someday you want to get married, I guarantee it'll change maybe the whole course of, of your future. If you're single and you know you, you, you just aren't supposed to be married, it'll still change your personal life. And so next weekend, I want you to be here. If you know somebody from Big Valley Grace, just say, hey, look, I don't know if you were there last weekend or not, but Rick really wants us all there. He's got a special message to kind of set up um, the, the, the summer. So uh, next weekend, um, make, make, make sure you're here. In Acts chapter 13, God himself said this about King David. We've looked at this verse now for three weeks. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And beloved, I've told you, there's no doubt that David was uh, a great man. In fact, he, he's one of my, my heroes. He's one of the heroes of the faith for me. I love to read and study about his life. There are a lot of great stories in the, in the Bible about him. I often pray when I, when I read some of the stories about David, Lord, I want to be like that guy. As I read through the stories, the scriptures, I'm, I'm often praying that even as I'm reading. God, I want to be like that guy. Give me the faith of that gal. Wow, Lord, that's the kind of person that, that, that I want to be. Last week, we looked at one of those great stories, the story of David and Goliath. And man, you can't help but read that story and not go, oh man, God, would you make me like that kid? Give me the faith of that kid. I mean, it's an unbelievable story. But then there are these moments in his life, in King David's life, that are really crummy. Moments where I pray and say to myself, Lord, I don't want to be anything like that guy. And today we're going to look at one of those, those crummy stories, the story of David and Bathsheba. This is one crummy story. Crummy. Um, I haven't had much uh, joy thinking about it. I knew it was coming. Um, and it's a depressing story to, to read. And even if you don't know the Lord, you've heard of David and Goliath, right? I mean, and probably if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you've heard the story of David and Bathsheba. It's in this story that we get to see a, a man that struggled with the same things that you and I struggle with, Christian, and that is our flesh. Um, one of the things about a follower of Christ is none of us are perfect. We're, we're not going to walk through uh, this life on this side of glory uh, perfectly. We're not going to bat a thousand. We can love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart and have uh, really crummy moments in our lives. Hopefully that's not the pattern of our life. But there are going to be some, some crummy moments. You see, David was a, a man after God's own heart. David was a, a man of, of great faith. David was a man that was used by God in some really great ways. But the key word in all these phrases is the word man. In other words, David was, was human. And in this story, uh, we get to see his humanity kind of just being played out for us. Whew, and the good news is uh, our humanity isn't played out for everybody to read. Aren't you glad for that? But David's is. David's is. 
Now, when you come to a story like this in the Bible, a, a really sinful, crummy story, you, you have to look at, look at it through a particular set of lenses. Otherwise, you just get through with it, and it's like, oh, man, why did I go to church, man? That, that was stunk. That stunk. Galatians chapter 6 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. That's kind of the, the, the lens you have to look at a story like this from. Yes, we need to know about Jewish history. Yes, it's good to know about the life of some of these great biblical characters like David. But when you get to a story like this, we, we, we got to have that lens on, the lens of Galatians chapter 6. We've got to have the, the lens of being careful that we don't fall into the same temptation. And I know, because I've done this long enough here at Big Valley Grace, uh, 30 years, that I know some of you already have. And a message like this isn't to poke anybody in the eye. A message like this is to help us all learn and grow and mature, and anything you can do about your past. But you can do something about today, you can do something about you know, tomorrow and all of that kind of stuff. Could be some of you are gonna be right in the midst of this story right now as I talk about it. In fact, some of you are going, oh man, I need to get out of here. And it's my prayer that somehow the Holy Spirit just keeps you glued to your chair. This might be the most amazing night of your life. We all need to be careful that we don't fall into the same crummy sin that David fell into. You see, this might be a 3,000 year old story, but it still happens to today, doesn't it? For those of you that know the, the, the story. Now, I'm gonna do the same thing that I did uh, last week, okay? I'm gonna lay this out like it were a, a play. Last week, I laid it out like it was a four-act play, and every act was fantastic, you know? Th th this is gonna be a six-act play, okay? So I want you to imagine you know, you got your ticket, you headed down to the Gallo Center, you got your popcorn, you got your, you know, Pepsi, you got in, you got your seat, and uh, you're here for this six-act play, the, the curtains are closed, you know, and all of a sudden the lights kind of twinkle a little bit, and everybody knows it's going to start, and, and sure enough, the lights go out, and the curtain comes up, and we have act one of the story of David and Bathsheba. Here we go, act one, one bad decision. Okay, I want you to write down the word bad decision. You're gonna write that, by the way, you're gonna write that, you're gonna write that, those two words a lot tonight. And you're gonna go out of here at least with those two words rattling around in your brain. Bad decision, bad decision, bad decision. Look at verse uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter uh, 11. Okay, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're just gonna walk through the story a little bit together. Or if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the jumbotrons or it'll be in your notes or whatever. It says this in verse one. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonites' army and laid siege to the city of Rabah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Ha! <laughs> Now, the reasons kings normally went to war in the spring was because the weather was good. That's why they did it. And there was a lot of food. So as you would take your whole army with you, you, you want to make sure there's food along the way. So the spring was when most armies, you know, would go out and fight each other. So here it is, spring, it's time to go to war, and David knows this, but he makes the decision to stay home. And he sends Joab to lead the army into battle. It's amazing how one little decision can be the domino that's going to lead to a whole mess. Literally a mess. A mess that was never, you know, you step in it and it gets all over everybody. Sometimes you can't get it out. 
Yeah, God still loves you and God still cares about you, going to heaven and all those kinds of things. But you know what? I can't tell you how often, weekly, someone comes into my office and they tell me about some bad decision they made. And you know what? Sometimes you can't fix everything. There's a, a great um, uh, a child uh, nursery rhyme that goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Do you know that's a biblical story? You see, once you sin, sometimes you can't put it all back together again. This side of glory. Sometimes the consequences of sin will go on forever and ever and ever. God still loves you. God still cares about you. And all those kinds of things. God can, God can take it and make something beautiful out of it. But the consequences are going to go on and on and on. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. David says, you know what, I know I'm supposed to go to war. That's where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in the office right now working. I'm supposed to be here. This is where I'm supposed to be. David knew where he was supposed to be. But for whatever reason, he makes a bad decision and he stays home. So act one ends, the curtains close, and, and now, it, now it opens up for act two. And this, 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 is, gonna get, this is just going to be, it's horrible. Nobody's eating their popcorn right now, are they? Last week, man, you were getting more popcorn. Woo! Man, stones were flying, giants were falling, heads were being cut off. Uh, not, not this story. Act two, one bad decision leads to another bad decision. David ponders on sinful thoughts. Look at verse two. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and he was walking on the roof of his palace. He's the king. And as he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. So far, so good. There's nothing sinful in seeing a beautiful woman. There's nothing sinful in seeing a nice-looking, handsome man. So far, we're okay. He's just on top of his, you know, thing, looking around. Oh, ooh, look at there. She's, she's pretty. Ah, but you get to verse 3. He sent someone to find out who she was. Hmm. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. David makes the decision to find out who this beautiful woman was. Remember, he shouldn't even be home. He's supposed to be at the office. That's where he's supposed to be. Doing whatever it is he was supposed to do. But he makes a decision to stay home. And now he just made another bad decision. Go find out who that gal is. Now I want you to notice a, a very special person in the story and in my opinion, I think they're the hero of the story. I talked, uh, we, about 30 of us gathered for prayer earlier, we do it every week and I, and I kind of pointed this out to them. I wasn't sure I was gonna get to this but I'm going to. Now no, most people don't even notice this person in the story but they're, they're, they're the hero. Look, look at verse three again. He sent someone, someone. We don't know who that someone is. But he's the hero of the story, in my opinion. Let me tell you why. Whoever this someone was, um, was obviously uh, in the employment of the king. He served the king. David's the king. You gotta be careful how you act around the king. And the king comes and says, hey, listen, someone, I want you to go find out who that gal is down there. Oh, man. I have the feeling that this someone looked at David and went, man, dude, you're like, you're like my hero, man. This someone wasn't stupid. This someone knew exactly what was going on. And I'm sure this someone was going, oh, dude, Oh, dude, 
Oh, no, man. David, don't, no, don't, don't do this, David. But he's got to be kind of shrewd. He's the king. And he does something really shrewd. He comes back and he says, uh, David, let me tell you who that is. She's the daughter of somebody. She's the daughter of Elam. She's just not a, a gal out on a patio. All he asked for was the name. Just give me the name. But this someone is going to do all that they can to help David. David, this is, a, a, this is someone's daughter, someone's little girl. And by the way, David, she's also the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. You know Uriah, right? He's one of your, you know, soldiers. In my opinion, I think this someone is trying really, really, really hard to get David to come to his senses. He just doesn't say, yeah, I know who the broad is. It's Bathsheba. She's hot. I'm with you, boss. Woo! He didn't do that. You see, this person knew that David was a godly man. Maybe this person was around when he killed Goliath. This person knew that David knew the, the law. He knew, he knew the, 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 you know, the, the great commandments. He knew, David knew number seven, you must not commit adultery. David knew it. And this someone's trying really hard. He's putting up all kinds of stop signs. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you see someone beginning to make a, a crummy decision? It could be your friend or your spouse or your parents or your kids or whoever. What, what do you do? Do you speak up? Do you love them enough to talk with them? Do you care about them enough that you'd be willing to, to lose the friendship or whatever? Or have you bought into that demonic lie that goes like this? Who am I to judge? It's their life, and if it makes them happy, you know, who am I to get involved, man? I, I support my friends 100% whatever they do. You bought into that demonic lie? A lot of Christians have. A lot of Christians have. Remember what Galatians chapter six says, dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That is God's will for your life. That as a brother or a sister in the Lord, if you see somebody, know somebody who's about to do something stupid, you're to put up a stop sign. You're to say something. Well, you know, who am I to judge, you know? <laughs> my, my, my son um, was involved in something the other day, and my wife and I got a text now, my son is like, a lot like me when I was his age, just perfect kid, never got in trouble. He's just this <laughs> unbelievable, sweet kid, man. It's unbelievable. <laughs> he really is a, a sweet kid, got a sweetheart. Never, never been in trouble in his life. I, I, I don't know how he, he's, he's going, going into seventh grade. By the time I was in seventh grade, I had been spanked. I can't even tell you how many times at Fremont Elementary School. I'd been in the office to see Mr. Ridquist. I can't even tell you how many times that I'm friends with Mr. Ridquist now. He's a, he used to work in the school system. But anyway, we get this, get this email saying, hey, Kate had gotten himself into some trouble. And so he had to have a timeout. Okay, and I'm thinking, Wow. I, I, I don't question the teachers. My first thing isn't to go, wow, how dare that teacher? My first thing is, I believe the teacher. 
So my son came home from school, and I said, hey, come out here. We're sitting in the backyard. I said, tell me what, what happened today, because I'm just trying to figure out exactly now what I'm going to do. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't really need anyone to know what the situation is. He goes, well, there was a group of us, and a girl had drawn a picture, and one of the kids said, hey, why don't, they all went out and played or whatever, and they were in the room, and they started talking about, what if we go over and, you know, paint a hat or something like that on top of the, one of the figures, this painting, this drawing this girl had made. And so one of the kids goes over, and he draws a hat on top of this little picture. And they all thought it was funny, and they ran away. Now, my son said, Dad, I wasn't the one who drew on it. I said, okay, but you were there, son. And I told him a little bit about this story. I said, you were the someone. You were the soul that was there that could have said, no, that would be funny, but that's her picture, and we shouldn't do that. Somebody needed to speak up. And you may not have drawn the picture, but you had a chance to be that soul. See? I think God loved David so much, he made sure that this someone just didn't come back and say, well, it's Bathsheba. And yes, yeah, she's a hottie. She's someone's little girl, David. In fact, I want you to know whose little girl that is. That's Elam's little girl. And not only that, but she's got, she's married, David. She's got a man in her life. So act two's over and the curtain comes up on act three. Okay? It's just getting worse, man. One bad decision leads to another bad decision, which then leads to another bad decision. David now acts on his sinful thoughts. When David sent messengers to get her, David then sent a messenger to get her. Okay, thank you for telling me she's someone's little girl. Thank you for telling me she's married. Thank you for reminding me, you know, that I'm about ready to blow off one of the great Ten Commandments. He sends somebody else, go get her for me, man. He's just blowing through stop signs. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, so we, we know, you know, that, was, that had just ended. Her husband's gone. When she returned home later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. She knew. She had gone through a menstrual cycle. Her husband's off at war. The only person who could be the father, is King David. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, this is not good. This sounds like a modern-day story, doesn't it? I mean, I can't count how many people I know that have had a one-night stand and, oops, you know, the woman gets pregnant, or oops, you know, they get a sexually transmitted disease, or oops, they got a broken heart, or whatever it is. Oh, I remember this all started with one bad decision. He, he didn't go into the office. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Crazy. Close the curtain, man. Let's get to Act 4. Act 4, curtains just came up. One bad decision leads to another bad decision, which leads to another bad decision, which then leads to another bad decision. David is just going to continue in his sin. Look at verse six. So David now knows he's got this pregnant gal on his hands. Oh, man. Had a one-night stand with her. She's pregnant. He's got a decision to make. What do I do? What do I do? Then David sent word to Joab. Remember, he's a guy out fighting the war. Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. 
But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone, gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? See what he's doing here? He's hoping Uriah goes home, sleeps with his wife, and she thinks, or he thinks, he's the father. Unbelievable. Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are, are living in tents. They're, they're, they're out at war. And Joab and my master's men are, are camping in the open fields. How can I go home and wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I, I swear that I, I would never do such a thing. I mean, this is just, you got to imagine, this is just like daggers in David. He's supposed to be out there. Well, verse 12 says, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. It's amazing what you'll do when you're drunk, huh? When you're taken out of your right mind. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. And again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. This is unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, th th this, is, this is just sick. Sh shut the curtain. Let's get to Act 5. Whew. Act 5, curtain just opened up. One bad decision leads to another bad decision, which leads to another bad decision, which leads to another bad decision, which then leads to another bad decision. David is totally consumed now in his sin. Look at verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah in the front lines where the battle is the fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelites. You, you, you can't read this story and not just be bummed out. Man. I mean, here Uriah takes his own Letter sealed with the, 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 the king's you know, seal and says, hey, Job, I got a letter for you. And he opens it up. And you got to imagine what was going through Joab's mind. This is the king, man. This is the guy that trusted God with Goliath. And this is, what, what? But he's the king. And so he puts Uriah up front, and Uriah's a good soldier. And the fighting's going on, and you just got to imagine as this fight's going on, Uriah thinks, man, I got all my men around me, man. We're like the Marines, man. No one left behind, right? And this fight's going down, and all of a sudden, I don't know, Joab must have put some signal together. Maybe it was a trumpet sound or something, and the men heard it, and they begin to back off. But Uriah hasn't got the message. He doesn't know what that trumpet sound means. And so here he is in the midst of this battle, you know, doing whatever he's doing, and all of a sudden he turns around, man, and there's no one there but a few guys. He knows he's been had. I don't know what the last thought that ran through his mind was. I don't know. But this is just horrible. David just had the guy murdered. All to cover up his sin. Shut the curtain. Let's get to Acts 6, okay? David finally makes a good decision. Whew. This is the one I was waiting to get to. David confesses his sin to, to God. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 17, it says this, the, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little tiny lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from, his, from the man's own plate and drank from his own cup. He cuddled it in his arms like it was a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Now get this. David was so furious. What? So some guy has all kinds of sheep and goats and cows and all kinds of stuff, and he goes and takes somebody else's one little lamb? Loser. I'm going after that. Who is that guy? I'm the king. This is just unbelievable. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. David is so deep in his sin, he doesn't even get it. Then Nathan said to David, you're that man. Man, it was like it was like God had Nathan just. I mean, just reeled him in, man. Just reeled him in. Look at verse thirteen. Then David confessed to Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." And Nathan replied, "Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt." For the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. And there's a great lesson there that I wish I had time to unpack for you. And, and that lesson is, is this, is yes, when, when you make a good decision and you confess your sin before the Lord, he'll forgive you of your sin. But sometimes the consequence of that sin will continue on. And some sins are so weighty and whatever that sometimes that sin will continue on throughout this whole life down here on planet Earth. There was a huge consequence that David paid. Huge. I don't even have time to unpack the consequences of David's bad decisions. They were huge. And one of them we just read about, and that was that baby died. It was a horrible, horrible moment. So in the final act, Act 6, we have the Lord sending the prophet Nathan to confront David on his sin. You see, God, God loved David so much that he made sure someone was there to confront David on his sin. You see that? Look, God loves you just the way you are, family. But he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you in the same condition that you're in. He wants us all to be transformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. He wants us to become more and more and more and more like his son. And that's not always, a, you know, this kind of a trajectory. You know, sometimes you, you woohoo, make some steps and, you know, I mean, it's, it's not this. But the goal is this, that you, you're, you're getting towards the Lord. You're becoming more and more like him. Now, you're never going to be him. You're never even going to get close to being him. But that's part of the goal is that you become like him. And one of the ways that you become like him is when somebody shows up in your life and confronts you on your sin. You see, God's not okay with you living in sin. He's not okay with it. He'll never be okay with it. Remember what Galatians chapter six says, dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. The, the, the scriptures are, are clear. God's not okay with you just living in sin. He's not okay with it. And so there's this passage and many others that tell us where to go, where to be that someone. 
would go and have a conversation with somebody and say, look, I know what you're about to do, or I know what you've done, and it's not okay with God, and it's certainly not okay with me. Look, if you know somebody that's living in sin, you're you're to go, and you're to have a conversation with them about it. Now, how they respond to your conversation is out of your hands. All, All God wants you to be is like Nathan. Just go and have the conversation. And they may flip you off. They may poke you in the eye. I don't know what they're going to do. But you, you can't worry about that. All you're called to do is simply have the conversation. Family, I, I wish I could. I should have wrote a book on all the ways people have responded to me that have not been nice. I have been spit on. <laughs> and, you know, you, you just wipe it off and go, so I take that as you're just going to keep living in your sin. Yeah, you're free to do it. And I go home and, and, you know, go to sleep. My conscience is clear before God. I did all that I could. God, I went and had a conversation. Now, a lot of times I'll go back again because it's so important to God. And if it's important to him, then, then it's gotta be important to me. And if I get spit on again, then I get spit on again. I mean, I, you can't believe, so. uh, have I lost some friends? Yeah. A lot of friends. But I'd rather be at peace with my father in heaven and lose a friend than I've kept a friend, but you know what? God, I'm not gonna do that. I'm I'm gonna support my friend 100% in whatever they do. Who am I to judge? See, I'm not gonna do that. And I have a job where I, I do that. It's one of the things that God has raised me up to do. But he's also raised you up to do it. It's a calling for all of us to, 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 to do this. Now in our story, you know, David finally makes a good decision and repents of his sin. L- listen to these words from Dave, David in, in Psalm chapter 32. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Beloved, unconfessed sin is just crummy. It robs you of your joy. It zaps you of your energy. It literally can make you physically sick. It hinders your prayers. It it puts a barrier between you and and God. It it gives the demonic an advantage in your life and your family. It messes up your heart, right? You feel guilt, shame, unworthiness. It makes your life miserable. This is why David began Psalms 32 with these words. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, those whose sin is put out of his sight. There is unbelievable joy when you finally come to grips with the fact that, you know what, I I am living outside of God's will. I I am living in sin. And there is something unbelievably beautiful that happens when you confess and you repent of your sin. You see, here you are going this direction. Here was David going this direction. Okay? He's living in sin, and it's, he's making one bad decision after another bad decision, which is what sin does. It just t- keeps going down a rat hole. And he's making another bad, and he's murdering somebody. And it's bad decision, bad decision. And when he confesses his sin, he, he, he's going to turn. He's going to repent. He's going to turn from going this way. And when he turns, bam, there's Jesus. I'm giving him a big old bear hug. Imagine that. You see, when you turn from your sin, when you confess your, your sin, you don't turn and God's, God's you know, poking your eye out. And, no. You see, you're, you're, you're trying to get away from God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own. And then all of a sudden, you turn. Oh, what joy there is when all of a sudden 
there's the face of the one who created you. The one who formed you in your mother's womb. The one who, who longs to forgive you. See, you turn and you're looking at this loving God. That's why he said, oh, joy. There's unbelievable joy. Look, no true believer can walk in sin and be okay with it. A true born-again Christian can't live very long in unconfessed sin. We, we can live in unconfessed sin. You just can't do it long. There comes a moment where it just gets too weighty. Doc, Dr. MacArthur said this. He said, it's not your perfection that proves you're a Christian. It's your reaction to your imperfections that prove that you're a Christian. In other words, God doesn't expect us to live perfect lives. We can't. It's impossible. But it's when we sin, how do we react to that imperfection? Are we okay with it? I'm good with it. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No, a true believer, you know what? There's a reaction to it because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so what happens is, is we suppress the guilt. We suppress the shame. We've got it all you know, shoved down and we're just going to do our own thing. That's David. He's just doing his own thing. And then there comes a moment where he goes, oh man, he, he reacts to his imperfections and he repents. And what a beautiful moment that is. Oh, there may be some eggshells to pick up and try to put back together, you know, and we do our best to help you put them up, put them back together or whatever. may not be perfect, but let me tell you something, it's way better to be in this mode than to just keep going and keep making bad decisions one after another. Christian, when was the last time you got alone with God and just asked him maybe to reveal any sin that might be in your life? Not, not somebody else's sin. I, I know we do that a lot. God, I'm going to spot everybody else's sin. And I know you're, man, look at, oh, you sinner. Look at you, man. But you got alone with God and you said, God, have I, have I just suppressed things so badly like David that I don't even know of some sin in my life? A place where it's just you and God, and you say, God, I'm listening. Is there any sin in my life that I'm not seeing or I'm un unwilling to deal with? Is there some truth in your word that I refuse to obey? David said in Psalms 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, any sinful way in me, any disobedience in me, and then lead me in the everlasting way. And the thought there is this, is that God, you know, doesn't have to go, well, let me check out your life. He already knows it. You're, he, he, you're just simply saying, God, I'm giving you access to speak to me. Reveal to me sin, God. Lamentations chapter three, let us examine our ways and test them and then let us return to the Lord. And the thought there is, is if you give you know, God a few minutes probably with your life and you're genuinely honest, God, is there something in my life? Is there some area of my life that doesn't look like your son Jesus? I'm gonna, probably you're gonna, God's gonna in a very loving, gentle way say, yeah, why don't you work on this kind of a thing? This doesn't look much like me. And I want you to know, this kind of stuff takes time. Psalms 19 says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? <laughs> Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't, don't let them control me. Then, then I'll be free from guilt. And the thought here is that, you know what? There are some sins that are just deliberate. We know them. Somebody's confronted us on them. Someone has came and talked to us. And we just deliberately sin. And we know we're living in brazen sin. And then there are, you know, our flesh is so goofed up. There are sins we don't even know about. But it's all sin. And it all needs to be dealt with. And it takes time to get alone with God and say, man, God, you know my sins. The problem's me. I don't, I don't know what they are. 
I'm no different than King David. I have the ability to hide my sin or justify my sin or whatever. And one of the great promises in all of the Bible is found in 1 John chapter 1. It says if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. The Bible says over and over and over again that God will forgive you of your sin if you'll just ask him. In fact, God wants to forgive you more than you want to ask for. He's waiting on you to, to ask for forgiveness. He likes to forgive. The Bible says this in Psalms chapter 86. Oh Lord, you are so good. You're so ready to forgive. So full of un failing love for all who will ask for your help. Look, God is always ready to forgive, always. Don't ever think that if you get alone with God and say, God, man, I've blown it, and you know, he's not listening. Or don't ever think, well, God's gonna say, hey, look, here's the deal. What you did was pretty crappy, you know? That was really crummy. Let me take some time. I gotta talk this over with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you know? We gotta have a little meeting together to see if we're really gonna forgive you or not. So I'll get back to you next week. Humans do that, but God doesn't do that. You ask God for forgiveness, boom, done deal. He's ready to forgive. Listen to what Nehemiah said. He said they refused to obey and didn't pay attention to the miracles you did for them. Instead, they rebelled and appointed a leader to take them back into slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness. You're always ready to pardon. Always ready to pardon. Look, here's the deal. Confession doesn't change the, the future. Confession forgives the past. There are other steps to, to change a bad habit or whatever, and I'm not talking about those things. Those are principles of recovery, principles of the Beatitudes. I'm talking about closing the door on the past. Look, confession doesn't say that you're never gonna do it again. You don't go to God and say, hey God, here's the deal, let me bargain with you. If you'll forgive me, I won't do it again. You, know, that, that's, you, know, you don't even make that statement to God. Because you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know. You just say, God, I've blown it. And you turn and you grab him. That's what you do. So let me end by giving you a, just a, a couple things real quick. Uh, thoughts on how to, you know, prevent heart problems. Okay, this is preventative heart maintenance. And I thought with all the fitness stuff going on out there, I'd, uh, I'd be a little creative here. Number one, you got eat, to eat healthy. Okay, you gotta eat right. Matthew chapter four, Jesus said it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me tell you something, you wanna keep your heart right? You gotta, you gotta eat right, you gotta eat healthy, you gotta eat clean. <laughs> right here, this is it. This is clean eating right here. You don't eat any of this, I don't know what's gonna happen to your heart. I know that if you get your nose in this and you know in the morning you spend time in, with the word and meditate on the word and you, 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 you memorize the word and all those kinds of things, let me tell you something, that's one of the great preventative maintenance things. Just make sure you're spending time in the word. Number two, you gotta exercise daily. The Bible says always be, you know, be, be, be joyful always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. First Peter chapter four says, God has given each of us a, a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. You see, you, you were created to serve. You were called to serve. You were gifted to serve. You're commanded to serve. You're gonna be held accountable to the Lord for your service. It's one of the great ways to stay healthy is by just getting the right exercise, spending time thanking God, being a thankful person, spending time praying. It's unbelievable what happens when you exercise right. When you eat healthy and you exercise. You actually put into practice some of the things that the scriptures talk about. Number three, you gotta watch your weight. The Bible says, cast all your cares on the Lord and he'll sustain you. He'll never let the righteous fall. Man, you know what can happen? We can carry around all this stuff, right? There's just all this stuff we carry around. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. Take that off and just give it to the Lord. 
Come to him with it. He'll give you wisdom on how you need to deal with it. He, let, let, just give it to him. The Bible says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace. You want to keep your, your life right. You got, you got to eat right. You got to exercise. You got to watch your weight. Go to God. Spend time with God and just give him all of the cares of the, the world. And then the last one is you gotta manage your, your stress. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and, and, and I'll give you rest. We live in, in some crazy times. Just, we're just super busy people. And the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. In fact, tonight, 30 people are in the altar room beforehand, and we sang uh, John Byron's song, Be Still. And then I just said, hey, let, let's just do what Psalms 46 says. Let's just be still right now and, and use this and remember God. Just be still. Remember all that the Bible says about God, all of the attributes of God, all the promises of God. You see, we're so busy, we're never still. And if we're not still, it's hard to really focus on all these great things about God. And it's how we manage our, our, our stress. So I want everybody to stand up, okay? Everybody stand up, 7.30 right now. And uh, I want us to say these four things out loud together before I, I pray, okay? So here we go. Number one, eat healthy. Number two, exercise daily. Number three, watch your weight. And number four, manage your stress. Father, thanks for a chance to be in your word tonight. And Lord, the, the, the one thing that I want these folks to walk away with is bad decisions. Um, they, they never lead anywhere good. And usually one bad decision takes us to another bad decision and another bad decision. And Lord, maybe there's one soul here tonight and they're, they've made the first bad decision. Or maybe they're into the second bad decision. Maybe they're into three or four bad decisions. Lord, may, may the last act of this play somehow rattle around in their mind because David finally makes a good decision. And he turns back to you. And he confesses his sin. And as hard as that might be and as embarrassing as that might be and all those kinds of things, the best place to be is with you, looking at you, in a bear hug with you. Father, thanks for your goodness to us, your word to us. I look forward to being back here next week with these folks, Lord. And I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said... Amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Hey, the altar room will be open in case somebody would like to go in there and talk with one of our, our spiritual leaders.